0: You know what I want. <laughs> not Samson, Greg. Not Samson. No, I want to talk Hey, that's pretty bad. Uh Usually, losing to the Celtics is not such a big deal. I remember I felt. Fairly confident slash maybe maybe a little bit optimistic after they lost a close game in their in-season tournament game against the Celtics. But the Raptors losing 120-118 to tonight, I thought was fairly disappointing, mostly because Jason Tatum didn't play, Chris Stapps Porzingis didn't play, and neither did Al Horford. It was, you know, I was talking to my brother as we were watching it, and I wondered, like, is this a B team? And he pushed back. He's like, no, Jalen Brown, Derek White are still playing. But it certainly isn't the A team, maybe the B plus team or whatever. It's uh, a tough one to take. You get like a 5 of 19 shooting night from Derek White. You get 5 of 15 from Drew Holiday. Overall, like you held a lot of their main engines of offense to not so great performances. And then Jalen Brown, of course, like he goes 5 for 6 from downtown. He finishes with 31, 10 and 6, looking kind of like a Scotty Barnes stat line. And, uh, Luke Cornette going for 28 and three with three blocks tough. Uh, once again, kind of addressing this thing that keeps happening is that Yaka played less than 25 minutes. This is a recurring theme in these games. The Raptors best lineup over the course of this game was with Yaka out with Gary Trent Jr. out and with Dennis Schroeder and Crazily enough, Jalen McDaniel stepping in at uh, the front court position now because Jalen and Scotty and Pascal are all playing like, I don't know, you know, on aggregate, they're all trying to, you know, approximate somewhat of a center and it's tough, man. It's tough. Jakob, you want him. We talked about this a few games before, actually in a lot of games so far this season. You want him to be an all the time player, like a no matter what player. And as far as being able to be on the court, be a really valuable player in like almost any context that really hasn't been the case. And that's maybe the most disappointing part about these games, even as they play teams close, even even as they do find good basketball for pockets and parts of the game, especially down the stretch. I thought the defense was tremendous you know, to quote Simon, the first comment on this live stream from Simon is we almost had the Jalen McDaniels game. We very nearly did. And that would have been fun. And that would have been exciting. But more so than that, we just keep never having the Jakob Purtle game. And we keep having, of course, the Scotty Barnes game repeatedly over and over and over, which is a ton of fun. And that's worth the price of admission for a whole bunch of people. 30 for Scotty, 10 boards, 5 assists, Pascal Pascal also with 27 five and five two steals Pascal the assist numbers could have ballooned up a lot easier in this one too um and Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench for 15 and nine he was a plus two he was part of that that lineup we talked about that got back into the game I think there were a plus 16 over their minutes huge huge run maybe an 18 to three run they made in that fourth quarter get back into this thing and, and oh less usage in this game than maybe i would have expected since the raptors seem to be at least by what they're succeeding at at this part of the season pascal has been playing pretty good scotty i think has been unbelievable um evidenced by his stat line tonight and pascal like you you don't snit you don't snort in derision you don't turn your nose up at 27 five and five either especially when it comes on 55 percent shooting 40 percent from downtown right um it's they're in transition to becoming a more wing-oriented team, which I think is positive for this season, which I think is positive for the guys on the roster. And I think that's emblematic of Scotty and Pascal's ballooning and ballooning stat lines. Even as they lose games, it's tough, these ones. Um, very difficult. Uh, having Scotty and Pascal see more of the ball, I think, is great. Pretty crazy in this game to see Scotty hoist up 15 threes. I honestly don't think you want Scotty shooting that many. I wish it was more equitable between Pascal and Scotty over the course of the season, in that Pascal, I hope, has more of a return to normalcy as a three-point shooter, so that there's a couple more games this season where Pascal on a good night goes north of like six, seven attempts from three as Scotty tries to like work and grind out in the middle of the paint. Currently, they have a fairly complementary situation where Scotty is a really good three-point shooter this season and probably into the future. He's shooting 39%. He hit seven triples tonight. Pascal is by far the Raptors' best two-point scorer. That has actually led to them being kind of symbiotic, kind of harmonious. Um, for Scotty's growth as a two-point scorer, that partnership needs to change if it's a partnership that happens in the future. Obviously, tomorrow, December 30th, is a big day as far as Pascal's contract and deadline. But at least in this game and in many games recently, they've found, I think, a harmonious partnership, which if the Raptors brass are considering anything, if anybody's sending that extension out, if anything is working like that, maybe that's something to consider. Um, The Raptors, maybe the most disappointing part of this game, the defense. I wondered because I was a proponent prior to the season. I wondered what the Raptors, a proponent of this starting lineup, I should say. I wondered also what they would look like at the point of attack. That was obviously something that the team, the front office, you know, the coaching staff has been wondering about. And it's something they've struggled with immensely in these past couple games. Um, Undone by Jordan Poole for a time is not good. You should not also be undone by Jalen Brown and Derek White and Drew Holiday. And I think that the Raptors early on in this game, really struggled with their point of attack defense. The Celtics were continuously able to get into the middle of the paint, punch gaps, fine shooters on the outside, and the Raptors kind of spreading themselves thin, trying to cover the court and doing it slowly, not very effectively. And even when they did do it well, giving up heaps and heaps of offensive rebounds, you know, like the offensive rebounds, Luke Cornett gets five. Peyton Pritchard had three, man. Part of that is the result of playing some zone to try and throw a different look at I don't know throw a different look at the Celtics make them do a few different things defensively and they did succeed like when you look at this game I don't think you know you look at as I talked about at the start some of their main engines of offense weren't very good in this game and they had trouble scoring against the Raptors and getting Derek White to throw up 10 triples and only hit two of them I think is a win as far as game planning as far as how your scheme affects the other team you know he did hit a big three late not everything's a win. It's uh it's tough, man. I know I say that a lot in these podcasts. Um Simon has an interesting thought. He says it seemed like Scotty was too tired to defend the rim in the fourth quarter, didn't bother to jump for some shots he would crush earlier in the game. It's too much load if Jakob doesn't play enough. Yeah. I like I get what you mean that Scotty can't be everywhere all everything everywhere all, all at once, you know, and that it is a lot. To ask Scotty to kind of step into the center role. It's tough. And we've kind of seen that happen, even in a season where the Raptors won 48 games, that we saw a guy like Pascal really wear down over time when he was asked to step into the center role more often for the benefit of the offense and for the, let's say, versatility, or at least, you know, what they called versatility of the defense. It was really hard on him. And Pascal has had three large injuries over the past, you know, handful of years. And he's played like the most minutes. And I think we've seen a significant effect on his defensive intensity, defensive impact over the last couple of years too, as a result of that. And asking Scotty to carry that much of a load, like, hey, you're going to have heaps and heaps of possessions on offense. We're going to ask you to do a million different things defensively. And for like long stretches at a time, we need you to hold down the paint if you have to ask scotty to do that much stuff that's like a mismanagement of assets and you know maybe it's not fair because Jakob hasn't been good enough to like jacob hasn't been good enough to make the raptors say we can just that's our center all the time he's going like 28 minutes and above unless there's a crazy crazy matchup that we can take advantage of they did in this game and congrats to them for that and they had a really nice run Darko pulled the right lever. Jalen McDaniels and Scotty and Pascal as the front court did work out. But having like these long minutes for Scotty, where he plays like 38 minutes in this game, Pascal plays 40, OG plays 37, these guys are asked to lock down front courts and hold down the glass. It's uh it's it's a big ask, and especially over the course of the season, with Jakob in a lot of games recently. Not it's not just that he's not finishing the game. He's also not playing some of the minutes or slots in the game that he used to. And that's one of those things that like Jakob, you know, first round pick two seconds, four years, 80 million. You gave a lot to get him. You gave a lot to keep him. He has to be part of these games. He has to be a sticking point. And this game. You know, I thought he had some really nice footwork on the inside as far as like finishing. I thought that he was like his footwork is tremendous, like on the catch, hold the pivot, but step forward, still hang the pivot, then use the dribble. Like he's always had that slew step in the middle of the paint that I've been in love with forever. He was able to out like out nimble Luke Cornett a few times, but he wasn't. And it's kind of, you know, it's symbiotic in the sense that the point of attack defense is really going to hurt. Perdle more than anybody because he's not as mobile as Scotty to get into a switching scheme. For example, when Scotty's playing center, the Raptors are going to be switching a bunch of stuff. Jakob is not going to be asked to do that. So the point of attack defense being worse hurts a Jakob center more than it does a Scotty center because you're not going to switch to negate that. And Jakob has not had a ton of support at the point of attack to help him in the middle of the defense, but he's also not really been bossing the middle of the defense either. Like, I think in this game, offensively, I think he did fine as a hub, made a couple nice plays as a passer. But when you look at how the Celtics attack, he just was as he was just out of this game. The Raptors couldn't defend in scheme with him. And you give up a lot for a guy who uh, doesn't defend across all the schemes you want to. Andy um, brings up, says quote, I still think the Precious erasure is insane. Yeah. Um, this is what Darko talked about to some degree, right? Like he had mentioned that if you change the starting lineup, he thinks that there's going to be cascading effects across the rest of the rotation. There was and has been the last couple games. Precious with two minutes, to me, just not really okay. I still think Precious is a player who should be part of the Raptors' future plans. His potential should be a consideration. His playtime should be a consideration. And the Raptors have found really strong stretches so far this season. Even the last time they played the Celtics, right? Who closed that game for the most part? Precious, because they were switching across a lot of actions. And that wasn't the, you know, porzingis Horfordless, horford tatum Celtics that the Raptors were hanging in against that Precious was helping be a stalwart part of the defense for. It, it was, the guys were there. It was the full, the full-blooded team, man. They were doing it, and Precious stepped in, and he was great. And Precious in this game to just get two minutes, pretty crazy. But like, also you get thirteen points in fifteen minutes from Jalen McDaniels. That was obviously the right decision tonight. But like in the first half, I wondered, and I wondered against you know the Wizards too, like, where does Precious fit in here? Because it has been important, or it is important going forward for Precious to fit in. I guess we'll keep it, you know, we're talking kind of big picture stuff a little bit, but to take it back into the scope of the game, um, we can pay attention to the last few minutes, I suppose. Uh, For one, Scotty banging a triple. That was a super huge deal. Um, Maybe some people are hung up on the missed layup at the end. I thought that Scotty had room for one more dribble. Like, and that's, that's a huge deal on drives. A lot of players, it takes like years and years for them to figure out like, Do I stall my dribble, see, like, you know, hesitate, see how the defense is responding, use the extra dribble? Do I pick up early to get the defense to jump earlier so that I become a playmaker on this play? What am I trying to do going to the basket? And I think that he picked up the dribble too early and tried to get to the basket, and there were good contests from the Celtics. Scotty, who has tremendous touch, missed one at the bucket. Scotty turned the corner. They ran the ghost pick and roll, the small, you know, the inverted one. Dennis runs over, he ghosts it. Scotty turns the corner going left. Good handle with the left hand. Going downhill. I think that's what you want. And I think that Scotty will make better decisions going forward. And it's a simple play call. Something that they can go to as often as they want. And I have no qualms about that being. You know what they did at the end. Um, As far as like Pascal. Splitting the free throws at the end. I know he missed a free throw with what. Maybe like four minutes left. He, He split one for two. And I think. You know, down the stretch, he had to miss the free throw. They had to try for it. But the ball didn't bounce where they needed to. And that was the game. There were a couple possessions, obviously. You know, you don't want to turn your nose up at it because like Jalen McDaniels did hit a three. He also airballed one, but he did hit one and one for two is good. And there were a couple possessions where I think this falls on Dennis's shoulders, who I think for the most part over the past two games, his decision making, his passivity at times have been benefits to the Raptors as far as how they want to play these games and as far as what they want to do down the stretch. Like, But also in this game, Dennis was able to turn the corner. He unfortunately split the free throws. Dennis, and that's the thing too, is like these late game things, you know, there's been a handful of games in the clutch time where Dennis has been able to turn the corner on bigs. And I think, like, if you can turn the corner, good things happen. But the thing with Dennis that makes it tough, especially, you know, relative relative to his decision making, is that Dennis turns the corner, but he doesn't necessarily bring help. He's a small guy. I know a lot of people before he signed with the team or right after he signed with the team thought that, you know, because he is athletic and certainly more so than Fred, that he was a much better finisher. But. Fred and Dennis have been, you know, comparable finishers for years. And when Dennis turns the corner, typically he doesn't get a whole bunch of rotation, especially late in the game. What happens usually is he gets chase from the big. And we saw he got fouled by Cornet. really, really quiet foul on that one. And that's kind of that's tough for a guard is like you get the step on your man. You see the rim in front of you. There's no help coming can you get the ball to the glass fast enough? And I hope that Dennis realizes that he's not often getting the ball to the glass fast enough. We've seen this in clutch time fairly often enough. It isn't enough just to beat your man. You have to have those considerations for when you get to the bucket. Are you going to be able to get that thing up? And Dennis, maybe not often enough. And if the help does come, then there's no shot he's making that. And he could be like on his last step with, with a dead dribble, and he might be like making a jump pass against a team that's swarming and trying to hawk on those passes out to the corner sometimes. So, a Dennis drive is not really what you're looking for late in games. And I think he has to realize, you know, I'm sure he does to some degree. I'm sure the coaching staff talks to him about it that just because you get the step doesn't mean we're winning in that possession. Just because you get the step, maybe you can shift the defense ever so slightly, but try and find Scotty or Pascal to center the possession around them. There were some wins, you know, with Dennis or with McDaniels late in the game, and especially McDaniels at the start of the fourth quarter. You know, he scored, what, like 10 points in like a half a second. But down the stretch, I think you really want to find Pascal and Scotty. And it just, it really has to be that way. Um, Dennis, the three-point shot has been better the last couple games. Try and just hone in on that a little bit more. But it's, it's, it's tough, man. I think that's my third time saying that in this podcast, maybe my 80th time this season, but it is tough. Um, the Raptors continue to change some things, continue to fail at many and against underwhelming competition this year. I, I would have liked to see them go to Pascal and Scotty more late, and maybe it is possible that this this game ends differently, but also Scotty didn't make it when he had the chance Maybe he, well, he'll well he probably make some of those in the future. And he also hit a big three. So you win some, you lose some. That's just kind of how these things turn out. Over the course of the game, I think offensively that the Raptors had a really good sense of what they wanted to do. I think that especially against this Celtics team, maybe they didn't go to Siakam often enough when he was really in the pocket. And, you know, it wasn't like Siakam was in the game when Scotty started taking over. Scotty started taking over when Pascal was out and then they kind of adjusted accordingly down the stretch. I I think that this team maybe needs to uh, have a little bit better of a feel for Scotty and Pascal taking off, even though that sounds maybe crazy for a pairing who combined for 57 points, 10 assists, but these are two fantastic wing players like Scotty. I reckon will be an all-star. I don't think Pascal makes it this year. If Pascal was having a more normal three-point shooting season, Um, if the Raptors were good, I think you could have a case for both of them, but with the Raptors being this bad, uh, I think it's definitely just Scotty. And I think Scotty is good enough this season and his numbers are big and loud enough that, um, he'll, he'll definitely like, he, he has to be in the running. I think he's a no brainer, not as a starter, but I think he's a no brainer off the bench in the all-star game. And this game is just another vote in that direction. Scotty. In this game, I think is once again, very special and not necessarily in the way that everyone expects him to be. This is one of the unique aspects of Scotty is that some games like, you know, December 10th, 2021, he bosses the Knicks in a game where, you know, neither team clears 95, I don't think. And he plays like drop defense and he's in a roaming position and he has like a holy smokes amount of rebounds and he does it on defense. And we saw games this year where he does it on defense. We've seen playoff games where he does it as a driver and like a shot maker in the short mid range. We've seen him dominate games in like a multivariate way. It could be a different thing in a lot of different nights. And he's starting to give you a handful of those things every night in this game. Sure, he unloads 15 triples. And I think everybody wants him going to the basket a little bit more often, you know, 20. What is it like 75% of his attempts being from three? Isn't necessarily the best thing, but the Celtics, they really pack the paint. The Raptors, when they drive and kick the ball, finding Scotty for a three point shot attempt, that's good. The fact that he can hit seven out of 15, that he's definitely over 39% on the season. That's great. I'm not mad that he can do a whole bunch of stuff. I, I just hope he keeps doing like a million different things and impressing. This game is just another, you know, feather in his cap. It's, uh, yeah, Top Shot Tesla says, Scotty blowing by Drew on the final play is encouraging. No, I don't think that was a blow-by. Like, it was a very rounded drive. Def Like, Drew was on the hip. Scotty picked up really early, and that's how he got there. And Drew, obviously, when someone picks up early, you're not necessarily going to, like, and they take off. You're not going to stay on their hip because you might – You know foul them i think drew was there for the most part but i i thought that the scotty taking the corner having like a tight handle with his left hand should have used an an extra dribble but he was obviously worried about when the help was coming how he wanted to utilize his downward momentum as a playmaker or as a scorer i talked about this a little bit earlier but i don't think this means that scotty is all of a sudden like an explosive first step guy like scotty took a very rounded drive, eventually got into his longer steps and started getting downhill. But taking longer to get to that point means that uh, teams can just like throw a dig, force the pickup because you're not, like you can beat your guy on a rounded drive, but you're not going to beat the help defense, you know? Um, that's why like Ja Morant, for example, like that that wicked first step, he can beat the nail help. They're like digging down, won't matter because you're too late to dig down and force that early pickup for example so he'll get his last dribble below the free throw line maybe scotty is probably going to get his above the free throw line because those digs will come but like just encouraging overall scotty is always encouraging this season and has been largely encouraging over the, over the course of his career i mean even in the second season when there was a lot of conversation around His potential, his trajectory, all that kind of stuff, I thought, and I had wrote written about and talked about ad nauseum last season, even in the doldrums of like November when Pascal was injured and they're losing to like the Pacers and OKC and Scotty and and like they need the Delano Banton 27-point game against Detroit, and Scotty's pretty passive. I think Scotty's ankle injury was like worse than what everybody was letting on. And I thought that Scotty was making significant strides as a playmaker. And I thought that his defense was getting better and better. And all that stuff is manifested on top of, you know, one of the biggest three point jumps in NBA history. And that's not even like to say what Scotty's doing as a shooter is unprecedented is not hyperbolic. Unprecedented. Crazy. I can't believe this guy shoots it like this. It's so cool. And he is also Yeah. There there's guys who were labeled as shooters coming out of the game, like out of the college game. This isn't like a Grady joke, but there's like a heap, handful, lots of guys who cannot clear 39% on north of five attempts a game. And Scotty's already doing it. And we know what was said about his jump shot for years and his scoring game for years. And he just, he does it, man. Um, G asks, is it their plan to place their starts in horrible context to force developments in unexpected ways, definitely not. Um, that is not uh, that is not what they plan to do. Um, Mugarbe Lenin says it sounds like Scotty playing one verse five. All I hear is Scotty, 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 and he missed the clutch and could pass the ball to Pascal. Um, Scotty is the as far as like the future of the Raptors under you know team control for contract trajectory potential like anytime a franchise is kind of pivoting towards a young star the coverage is going to surround them scotty having like 30 10 and 5 and doing so in an unprecedented way hitting his you know career high in three-point attempts um he's going to be like we talk about scotty a bunch and that's also what the fan base wants to hear too um but also like you know that's that's just kind of the way that is basketball conversations are typically polarized to a few players and we're currently in the talking about Scotty part of the podcast for sure but other guys i see people asking about og ananobi og i was a little disappointed in this game i contextually i can understand why because the the celtics the, the reason why scotty did so well is cuz he unloaded from 3 Pascal is the best at working the middle of the court. Pascal got a bunch of his shots by working in the mid post, the place on the court that the Celtics are willing him to like saying, Hey, you can settle in here. This is what our defense is going to allow. Scotty is, or sorry, Pascal is obviously the guy who can score efficiently from that point. He did so in this game. I thought he was fantastic as an offensive operator. And as far as, you know, working in there, that's just Pascal. As far as like working in the middle of the court, Scotty's not going to be able to do that very often. You have to find the pacing. You have to see a lot of permutations of defensive rotations and stuff like that. And you have to work on a different type of bag, but OG there's not really an expectation for him to like work the middle of the court. He is a morey ball player a lot of the time. Right. And he's at his worst. I think when he's being forced middle with a bunch of help in the paint And I think he's at his best when he has, you know, a high volume of three-point attempts available to him and when he can crash into the paint with a live dribble and finish at the bucket. Just last game against the Wizards, there's been a handful of games this year where we see OG having a really good read for where the help side defense is coming from, attacking closeouts, being like a really vaunted driver. In this game, that obviously wasn't the case. I think he struggled... And this, this is the thing too, with a guy who doesn't have that counter in the middle of the floor, it's really easy to kind of turn the water off as far as volume goes. And OG is a guy who, depending on the scheme that the defense is playing, you can definitely slow down the volume. Pascal and Scotty, they can turn up the volume kind of according to how they want to play if they're feeling passive or if they think there's something better on the floor. But OG in this game, I know a lot of people look at this and think twelve points, two assists, two rebounds is really quiet. It is. The defensive context plays a little bit into the volume. I think that OG did a decent job of playing within himself, but also I think that there was some playmaking opportunities that he missed out on. I think that his defense has been like taken a step back as a lot of the Raptors have. And I think that um you hope because you know, and I, I think a lot of people ask these questions because they see OG's looming contract where I think the you know a lot of the assumption is that he'll be like 40 million and up or something like that per year. Um, and the Raptors will obviously, if OG is on the team in the summer, they will be matching or whatever. Like they'll they will be remiss to let OG walk for nothing. So when people see these games and see that OG's volume. Some teams can turn the water off. Maybe that's where a lot of the, I guess, frustration comes from. But as far as like being the third option, I didn't think this game was too bad. But if you're thinking like potential into the future, what is Scott where where is OG as Scotty's running mate? I think you could look at this game and be disappointed at his lack of counters against the Celtics team that was um decent as far as their the fundamentals of their defense, but pretty light on game changing defenders. And especially since OG isn't getting the best check, especially since he's not the highest up on the hierarchy of like Scouting Report, Pascal, and Scotty, it's uh it's maybe a little bit disappointing. But I think he played within himself, especially offensively for the most part. But for the people who want more, I can't blame you. OG probably wants more for himself too, but um some of that's gonna come in the gym. And he like He's probably in the gym working on that stuff. It's really hard to turn a skill from just like a skill into an NBA skill and then turning an NBA skill into an all the time NBA skill is a whole bunch of different things and the trajectory of it can be really different. Whereas like Scotty Barnes is a good example where he shoots what 30% from three in his rookie season 29% in his second season. Everyone says, oh, this is a really bad indicator. Scotty working on his game in the summer and working on, you know, his workouts and his jumper, he was probably closer mechanically than the numbers indicated all of a sudden this year up to 39% on massive volume. So maybe OG is close to a breakthrough somewhere. I don't see any indication from that in the tape, but who knows? Um, Players are able to add stuff to their game slowly all the time throughout their careers, but OG wasn't able to be, uh, an offensive game changer in this game. I think a lot of the first half of this game, he struggled defensively in a way that you're like, I really don't want to see this for him. And then he was obviously a major, like a focal point of the Raptors switch heavy defense down the stretch. And that's kind of the situation. Nesta says, OG is a luxury for a team that isn't built well, like this current Raptors squad. I don't think we can sign him and expect it and expect fixes to what is broken. Probably not. The Raptors, uh, they're missing a ton. They just what because OG isn't a you know a, a big time shot creator. OG isn't going to take a whole bunch of possessions and create good looks on offense, and he can guard a lot of guards, but he's mostly going to be deployed on wings and forwards and some big guards. I guess the Raptors have the worst backcourt in the NBA if not the worst, the second worst. And OG will never fix that aspect of it. The the hope is that Scotty, through his unique style of playmaking, that isn't very point guard like, but is certainly I create things um that he can help amalgamate a lot of the impact that a point guard has. And you know, in so the Raptors are able to find their way to you know, a unique style of offense and a unique style of defense because they play so big at the guard position. Like, Scotty's been labeled as the shooting guard all year. I mean, tonight, NBA.com has him as the point guard. Gary is the shooting guard, right? So they're trying to find something there. But the Raptors, yeah, Coco says we still need a backcourt and more depth at center. I think it's kind of been interesting because the, the backcourt and the center position are so closely tied together because a lot of centers are so in their value is so intrinsically tied to a point guard. Um, Maybe the best example is like Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert, right? You need a centers do not create looks for themselves like ever. You need a guy to put centers in winning positions. Wings are really like the preeminent scores in the NBA a lot of the time. And the the appeal of the wing is that they can typically guard like they can score like a guard, like score the ball, not play, make like guards. Guards are the only ones who play, make like guards, but they can score like guards and they can also like play in the middle of your defense at times on defense. They can give you really great court coverage on defense. They can help shrink the floor on defense. And in doing so, you can kind of meld the front court and back court together. You have a wing. That's why LeBron James and Kevin Durant, you know, and like those guys were the biggest players for a time. But a lot of centers that aren't Joel Embiid and, you know, Nikola Jokic, they are dependent on guards getting them the ball. And you can see it. Like Rudy Gobert does not have good uh, chemistry, really, with Anthony Edwards, who is awesome, who scores the hell out of the ball, but he doesn't know how to put his bigs in positions to win. Um, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam are still trying to figure out how to put their big in a position to win. And that means that Jakob's, you know, his impact went down from last season, going from, you know, a lot of stuff with Fred. And I know the fan base has its opinions on Fred, but Fred's impact spoke for itself. And, um, you know, they made the decision, Fred made the decision to go elsewhere. And it has affected Jakob's role on this team a bunch. Um, they just, it has been really, really tough uh, to see Jakob's role change. To see the stuff they miss out on by not having like good guard play. And uh, yeah, Nesta says, how does it make a lot of sense to pay for two expensive assistant coaches in Thad and Garrett? I don't know, man. I I think guys just like the Thad stuff. My assumption. If Thad or his family listen to this, my apologies. My assumption was that Thad was going to have his $8 million guarantee or his eight million dollar contract, not like they weren't going to accept that. And they'd give him the one million dollar payout. It so happened that the Raptors, the way the season went, tried in the summer to alter their roster and guaranteeing Thad's eight million made him really, really good as salary filler. Eight million into a trade means a lot more then eight million expiring means a lot more than one million, you know, for example, or just nothing really. and and Garrett, I think Garretts big shout out to Garrett, he he went he donated money to the teachers union, right in in Toronto and he and he was there like picketing with them. Isn't that what he did? If I'm misremembering my my bad, but he's worth like the what three point five million or whatever, just for that for the 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 pro labor messaging. Um but yeah, I don't want to count pockets, right? These guys. They play. They get paid. They they have collectively bargained for this, um, and I don't think that uh, I don't think that you know Thad's contract or Garrett Temple's contract is the the wall to the Raptors' impact that they want or anything like that. Um, yeah, in, as you say, Nesta, Thad's eight plus Chris's eleven is a nice salary ballast for getting some guard help. Yeah. And I think Chris is Chris, at least I know over the past couple trade deadlines, this wasn't reported that much, but he has had uh, a not a considerable amount, I wouldn't say, but he's had interest from a number of teams, kind of like a spark plug big that they might look to get in, you know, around the trade deadline. It hasn't happened. It's hard to make trades in the NBA, but yeah. Daniel Brody says Yak should be bringing more value defensively, though. I never thought he was an all defense type guy, but I have a hard time saying he's better defensively than like Gafford, Batase, Mark Williams. Yeah, this is I talked about this a little bit earlier and we saw it in this game, too, that Jakob, his impact on defense is very closely tied to the point of attack defense because. Jakob can't really access the switching schemes that, like, Precious or McDaniels or Scotty or Pascal or OG can, right? So, point of attack defense really affects bigs who play below the level of the screen. That's just always going to be such, such a big, big deal. And it's tough that Jakob can't, like, override that and give a bunch of impact. It's tough to see him, even with all that said in positions where he can win battles against centers like Luke Cornette, and he ends up you know, losing some of them or like Walker Kessler or like Mark Williams when they play the Hornets. I, Jakob is playing well below his expected impact. He's playing below his expected level. That's been too tough, man. Um, and this also like, this is a team that is trying to find something desperately. They switched the starting lineup and the new starting lineup is still bad still bad the starting lineup was bad before and the starting lineup has been bad since I think that this like this was my worry and I still wanted them to try it because now that they're losing at least they're losing with more usage for Scotty. at least they're losing with more usage for Pascal and they get to try a few different things and I think it will not in this game but in the future lead to more usage for OG you know moving towards a more wing-oriented offense by changing that. Instead of having a guy like Dennis initiating a bunch, you have a guy like Gary Trent Jr. who's supposed to finish plays. But also packaged into that is the fact that Gary has been well below his level this season. A guy just got a promotion despite not playing well. And in a game like he played well last game, but he goes two for 10 tonight. He, doesn't, he hardly, He's a guard who hardly gives you any extra ball handling ability. Like, no playmaking reads from this guy. That's tough, man. Uh, You want to be able to, like, elevate guys into the starting lineup, not demote guys from it. (laughs) It's tough. It's very tough. Um, OR asks, where did Masai come up with the top 10 center in the NBA title? I kind of looked at that when they re-signed Pirtle. Based on his impact of last season, it seemed like he was probably hanging around, like, 14 to 18. Um, and you'd have to be really, I think, I don't know, optimistic to bump him towards like 10 to 12 or nine to 12. I just, I think that Masai has said a few things over the past couple of years that I don't think are accurate representations of the team. Um, Anuji says he's closer to a bottom 10 center. I disagree. There's a lot of centers in the league, man. I, you are not even thinking about the third string center. You're not thinking about James Wiseman. You're not thinking about Marvin Bagley, you know, um, he's better than a lot of guys, but he also gets paid a lot. So there's expectations. Another loss, man. It's, I don't know. I wonder what happens at the trade deadline. I'm not necessarily waiting for the trade deadline. Um, but I do wonder what happens at the trade deadline. I wonder so much. And this team has been in flux, will be in flux and, uh, them's the breaks man it's a it's a tough league there's a lot of really intelligent people making decisions about how to build teams there's a lot of like scouting team building cap considerations teams have really elevated themselves as decision makers over the course of you know over the course of the past however many years it's harder to get a leg up on these guys it's harder to make, you know, you know, it's the path to being a good middle of the road team is harder now than it used to be. You can't just like pay guys and keep it moving and do all that kind of stuff. You have to be intentional to be good and you have to be really, really smart, and you have to be really lucky to be very, very good. And Scotty Barnes, going into the future is like a big part of being very, very good. I really wonder, you know, how this team looks going forward and all that kind of stuff. With all that said, another loss. Uh, I'll be here after the Pistons game if they win or if they lose. And then as far as like weekly podcast type stuff, um, myself and Trey will be back in the saddle for the first time since my incident to record a podcast. And uh, I think we'll be talking just based on what Trey has liked talking to me about Lately, I think that we'll be talking uh, a decent amount of trade, cannon fodder, all that kind of stuff. So I'll probably, for those people who follow me on Twitter, um, I'll put out a tweet, stay tuned, asking for uh, fake or like prospective trades. So uh, we can kind of go through that and say whether we think they're good or bad. Just as a heads up. But yep, another loss. The Raptors lose again. Good Lord. Nesta says, buddy healed. I want that guy bad. I've wanted him for years. Same with Malik Monk. It's kind of funny how guys stay in your brain for so long. I know I wasn't one of the Kenneth Freed people, but Kenneth Farid has been in the was in the Raptors' collective consciousness forever. And uh, yeah, Buddy Heald has been in my collective conscious for for years. Um, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, as always, the people in the chat. Thank you for being insightful, engaging and kind. And uh, you guys always make this way easier because when I just talk to myself, it's like tough to do 15 minutes. But when you guys ask questions, piece of cake to go longer. And everyone seems to like the longer stuff. So thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, Make sure to like the video. It's free and it helps uh, spread the stuff to other people who want to watch this stuff. And uh, if you have the means, holiday season type thing, and uh, you like my work, uh, you can support it by going to RaptorsRepublic.com, subscribing, and that helps support myself, obviously, but it supports a litany of writers who are trying to get into the industry without doing the, in my opinion, predatory intern plus whatever situation. Raptors Republic pays its workers. Raptors Republic does it as an independent outlet, and the reason why we get to do that is because of fantastic people who pay for what they you know, go for online. That's what I do. I'm not holding you guys to a different standard. When I like something, I pay for it. Um, that seems to be the only way to make sure people who do work on the internet actually get to keep doing it. Okay, sermon over. Thank you to everybody, um, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.